And we started this last week. We saw last week that Peter, and maybe we were surprised by this, in writing a letter, it's supposed to be a letter of comfort to these people that are in a hard time, he doesn't spend a lot of time comforting them um, because of their distress. He's not like, oh, my poor poopsie, you know, all that stuff. No, rather, he reminds them of who they are in Christ so that as they walk through mistreatment because of their faith in Christ, that they will remember why they stand for what they stand for in the first place and they won't bend They won't say, oh, I'm going to give up, because he's saying, this is why you're doing what you're doing. Um, He reminded them last week that they've been chosen by God and that they're on the winning side and that they are different than the world around them. They're they're square pegs in a round hole, that that's who they are, that he's trying to say, this is what the world looks like for you, that you're different. If you're a child of God, you're different. You march to the beat of a different drummer, and you're not going to fit in. And you remember last week said, and it's good to know that because we got something better. Now, Peter continues on with this type of thinking and what we're going to look at today. And he knows that because these folks are Christians, that they're being mistreated. So he reminds them, this is an approach today. And what's interesting is last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday are all, he's doing the same thing. And we'll talk about that the next week. They're all, he's doing the same thing. He's trying to convince them of why it's great to serve Jesus even when times are tough. And so this week what he does in order to encourage them, remember they're, they're suffering, encourage them, he reminds them of, of three things. He reminds them about what God has done for them in the past, what God will do for them in the future, and that's, their, that's, his, that's his setup. He's setting them up. He's going, here's what God has done, here's what God will do. And then he says, and let's see then how that affects how we live in our here and our now. He says, you know the past, you know the future, but how does that affect our here and now? And my hope today is that as we see what God has done for us, each of us, in our pasts, and he's going to address that, and what he promises for us for our future, that it's going to affect how we live our lives in the here and the now. So grab your Bible, power up, open up, First Peter Near the end of your New Testament, if you're here with us and you're new to the faith, and I hope there's a whole bunch of people who say, I don't even know where 1 Peter is, because it means you're just getting into this. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. All right? You there? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith, which being more more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 
obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We'll stop right there. You know what my hope is? That for every one of us, no matter what we're going through in life, somebody will look at us and go, you know them people at Portview? They, have, they are rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In other words, you're super stoked for serving Jesus because he's transformed your life. So let's look at Paul, what, what Peter does here because um, it's, really, it's really amazing what he does to, to, to make his point here. I think he's, intellectually, he does a really wise thing here. He starts by looking back. He says, well, let's think about this, you persecuted people. What has God done for you as a Christian in the past? That's what verse 3 is all about. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God, he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercy, has. Has is what? Past tense has already caused us to be born again to a living hope. And I think just stop right there for a minute and try to wrap your mind around just... We could take the whole time and just talk about this one sentence. Seriously. Think of this. God. I mean, God. The Father of Jesus, who is our Lord. God. The creator of everything. The one who thought that, thought that ostriches were a good idea. And hummingbirds. And by the way, my hummingbirds have disappeared. Have your hummingbirds disappeared? My hummingbirds have disappeared. I think my neighbors have given them bad food and killed them. Very upset. (laughs) God made hummingbirds. I love hummingbirds. You know what? He made elephants and crickets and the Andes Mountains and the sun and the stars and a million billion galaxies. That God, according to His great Mercy has caused us, put the word me, you, to be born again. It says he did it by his mercy. That speaks to God's kindness. That's really what that word is talking about in this context. That according to God's kindness towards us. That, friends, God doesn't owe us anything, not one of us. Yet according to his great mercy, his kindness... It says this amazing thing. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you are a Christian, if you've said yes to the call of God in your life, and, you're, and you've given your life to Christ, and you've been transformed from your old life to your new life, He's now God and you're not anymore. That's really a good definition of a Christian. He's God and you're not. Not just accepting Jesus and you still staying God. No, Christianity is God is God and you are His follower, Right? So if you are a Christian, Peter is saying here, it's all because God, according to his foreknowledge, we looked at that last week. If you say, what's that mean? Listen to last, sermon, last week's Sunday sermon online. According to his foreknowledge, he caused you to be born again, it says, to a living hope. If you are a Christian, it's because God who created everything looked upon you with mercy and caused you by an act of his will not because of some decision you made. Yes, you have to respond to his call, but he caused you to be born again to a living hope, to be spiritually born, to be transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, for you to experience a spiritual birth that gives you a living and eternal hope. 
God did this for you in the past already. He made it possible in the past. That what was, that's what was going on according to scripture when Bi- the Bible says he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus died and rose again. And it says as Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? All of those in Christ also are rise, risen to new life. Every Christian. We died with Christ and were risen with him. Friends, don't miss this. Being a Christian isn't about joining a church. It isn't about praying some prayer and it says at some time in the past somewhere and says, oh, I must be in now. No, Peter says it's such a bigger deal than that. If you are a Christian, it's because God in his mercy caused you to be born again. He chose you on purpose. He called you by name so that you could then respond to his call. That's not something to be taken lightly. That's not something to be taken casually. That is something to marvel at. You ever think of that? You ever marvel at that and go, you chose me? I know me. I wouldn't have chosen me. He chose you. You ever marvel at that? I won't say he shouldn't have chosen you, but he chose you. You ever marvel at it? Do you ever celebrate it? He chose me. I stopped marveling. I go, no, he chose me. You ever celebrate and go, oh my goodness, he chose you. He chose me. That's what Peter's getting at here. Peter looks back and goes, look what God did. God, in his great mercy, chose you to be born again. He's like, this is your path. This is the truth of your life if you're a follower of Jesus. So they're going through persecution because they're Christians. But he says, look at this is what God has already done for you in your life. He's like, marvel at it. That's what he's really trying to accomplish here. Marvel at it. Celebrate it. Be amazed by it. I'm amazed by it. Maybe said this to you before, but the something that, that, that's always struck me is, you know, I graduated from Kewaskum High School. Anybody else who graduated from Kewaskum High School in here? Woo! We got a few, right? 1982. Now I haven't stayed up that a good year. Woo! That's a great year. Um, it means we're getting older, <laughs> but we're not old yet. Older. Um, and I haven't stayed up with a lot of the people in my class, but I know of some. And there's hardly any. There's a few that I know that responded to the call of Jesus in their life. Most haven't, as far as I know. And I always look at it and I go, why me? All the time, in, in total shock and amazement, I go, why me? How come I figured it out? How come, how come when God called me, it made sense to me? And I go, I'm in. And it changed my life since my senior year in high school. It changed my life. And I, I marvel at that. I want you to marvel at it. That's what Peter's trying to get you to do here today. If Christ is your savior, he's trying to get you to marvel at it and go, this is a big deal. You know what? Yeah, I'm going through some trials, but this is a big deal. The creator of the universe, he looked down and he said, John, you're worth it. Holly, I'm going to call you by name. Debbie, you know, that's amazing. That's something to, to marvel at. Does that make sense today? Are you, were they awake when you did announcements? You woke them up. Did that make sense today? All right. So that's the first thing Peter does. He looks back. But then he looks ahead. It's the next thing he does. And that's what verse 4 is about. Look at verse 4. So first he looks back. Now verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. When do you get an inheritance? In the future, right? 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What's Peter do here? He looks past the, the years that we have on earth, whether they be 20 or 30 or 90 or 100. We don't ever know how many years we have. He looks past those years. And interestingly, we look at things so, because we have such a temporal view that, you know, somebody gets 40 years and we're like, oh, what a tragedy. They have 90 years and we say, oh, they live a long life. That's all true, but in, in eternity's, eternity's eyes, it's not even different. It's literally not even different. So however many years we live, you know, 20 or 100, he looks to endless eternity and he reminds these mistreated Christians that they have a very real eternity awaiting them. He says there is an inheritance reserved in heaven for Christians. Now, he here doesn't say exactly what that is, but he does say this. It's, he gives generalities. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. So what is he saying? For, we're trying to say this. It's permanent. Life is not permanent. Right? Life is not permanent. Everything, the only thing in life that remains the same is that everything changes. Until we grasp that, life will, be, always, will always be upset. Because we think, oh, this shouldn't have changed, that shouldn't have changed. The only thing in life that doesn't change is that everything changes. But in heaven, our inheritance, he's saying, is going to be permanent. And it's going to be pure. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be imperishable, undefiled. It won't fade away. Elsewhere in Scripture... It says other things about the inheritance. It talks about the fact that we'll get a new body. Anybody say amen? Woo! New body, no hearing aids, no back pain. I weeded the garden yesterday. I'm not that old, 1982 graduating. My thighs hurt so bad from weeding the garden. I'm like, oh, she's like, this morning, she's like, is your back sore, honey? I'm like, no, I'm old and I weeded the garden and my, my thighs won't straighten up. You know what? We're going to have new, I mean, you can relate, right? We're going to have new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth where we, will not live, where we will live in the presence of God himself without any barrier of sin. And that's the big deal. No barrier of sin where we'll become what we were meant to become because we're still going to be the same people, new bodies, but we're going to become eventually what God always intended us for to become because we're going to live in an, in an environment that does not have the corruption of sin, which is a thing that derails us. Friends, it's going to have to be 10 million times more wonderful than we can imagine. Why? Because we can't even imagine what it would be like to live in a world without the effects of sin. We have no idea. It affects everything. I keep adjusting my glasses. Why? Because I have to see, because I need glasses. You know, the corruption of the world, degeneration is everywhere in every relationship. We can't even imagine what it would be like. It's what Adam and Eve and God had for that little bit of time before they choose to follow Satan's way instead of God's way, where they lived in that reality here on earth with God without the corruption of sin. We can't even imagine it, but someday, Peter's saying, someday we're going to have it. Peter says, that is your future mistreated, suffering Christian. He's just saying this, hold on to the future. Don't let go of the future. Keep focusing on the future. Keep understanding you're going to get through this. So he looks back. Then he looks ahead. And now I want us to see what Peter is doing here so we don't miss the point because he's so much more than some dumb fisherman. He is brilliant here. He looks back. 
He looks forward, and then he says, then he deals with the present. And let's remember, their present wasn't one of their present was one of unfair treatment simply because they were followers of Jesus. And what he does, what he does here, or maybe what he doesn't do here, is he does not sugarcoat the very real challenges of their present. Rather, he does something so important, so much more important. He wants to frame um, the situation in such a way, past, present, reality. He wants to frame it in such a way that they will have hope and recognize that good can result from their difficulty. So he says, hey, God's got you in the past. Hey, God's going to be with you in the future. But you know what? Even in this present reality, there's a, re- there's a reason to have hope and to understand that God is accomplishing something amazing in your life. And that's what he's talked about when he's talking about the presence in verses 5, 6, and 7. Let's look at those again. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He starts off by reminding Christians that no matter what you are going through, no matter the challenge, that God has not forgotten you. He is aware. He says, listen, in the middle of it, we are protected by the power of God. So no matter what you're going through today, you say, where is God? God, he's saying this, you are presently, he's saying, you are are protected by God. That word are, it's present tense. You are. He didn't say it in here. He switched gears. He wasn't saying you were. He's not saying you will be. He's saying you are at this moment in your life, in the midst of your struggles, protected by the power of God. Now, friends, there's nothing else in this world I'd rather be protected by than by the power of God. But you say this, and you're being honest when you say it. You say it surely, surely doesn't seem like it right now. I'm going through some really big storms in my life right now, Pastor Mark. Things don't seem to be getting better. They only seem to be getting worse. Well, Peter's going to deal with the reality of that in a minute. We're going to look at it. But first, he just starts off by just stating a fact. As Christians, he's saying, listen, don't debate it. Don't question it. Understand the truth. Because you can trust the past, you've lived it. And because of the promise of the future, it's there that you can understand now, in the present moment, you are protected by the power of God right now. Now notice something. You are protected what, by the power of God, it says how? Through faith. He says through faith, for a, for a salvation that will be revealed in the last time, which is a reference to Christ's second coming. So you're, you're, you're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that will be revealed later. So your faith in Christ, which we know ultimately was given to us by God, it was imparted by God, which we do not, which which we do though choose to stand upon, will see us through to the ultimate salvation. He's saying the power of God today, because of your faith, will see you through this situation to the ultimate end. He's not talking about walking through life problem free. That would be impossible in a world corrupted by sin, especially for the Christian 
who does not fit in this world system. We of all people, especially as the temperature gets turned up, will face troubles and trials um, in this world. They are inevitable. But God's power will today protect you so you will be able to make it to eternity and get, your inher- get the inheritance. That's where people misunderstand. That's where hyper-faith teaching messes up. They think what God is saying is God will always take care of you in the now and you'll never suffer. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying you are suffering, but your faith in your God who's protecting will protect you in such a way that you will make it to eternity and you will get what you want. Now, Peter believed that about himself. What does history tell us happened to Peter? He's crucified upside down. His faith saw him through eternity. Didn't mean he didn't have some troubles. He had some trials that far exceed anything any of us will probably experience. So he wasn't trying to say you'll never have troubles. He's saying, but in the troubles, God's power is going to protect your faith. So you're going to make it to eternity. Peter says, in this, verse 6, you should greatly rejoice. Rejoice because it's the best news you could ever hear in the history of the world. And you say, it is? Well, let me ask you this question. If I gave you this promise instead, the promise that God's going to give you is that you are going to live a problem-free life for 80 or 90 years with no hope of an internal inheritance with Jesus, would that be better than the promise of a life that, yes, you're going to have troubles because of the influence of sin, but God is going to protect you and get you through to the inheritance that's eternal. I'd never trade the one for the other. I'd never trade ease for the promise of a beautiful eternity with God. I'd never trade a life of of no discomfort for a life with, with not having a promise of eternity with the Lord. Even the suffering Christian can rejoice because God's power is protecting them, seeing them through to the ultimate prize. It's because of this that Peter can then write what he writes about trials in verses 6 and 7. Let's look at those again. It's so important here. This is going to help some of you. Even though you greatly rejoice, even though now, in, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Christ. Based on the reality that God's power is seeing us through to our promised future, then the suffering of today can be endured. It's not forever. That's what he's saying. And then Peter takes it even a step further. He explains that various trials can actually and do actually serve good purposes. And this is a summation of what he says. They reveal the genuineness of our faith and they develop our faith even further. Peter here uses the metaphor of metallurgy. When a metallurgist takes ore, he's talking about gold here, um, with its imperfections, you know, gold doesn't just pop out of the ground, a big chunk of gold. It's in, a, it's in ore state, and it's got other stuff with it. And what a metallurgist does, he takes that ore, and he heats it to white hot, and he adds a catalyst agent to it, so that the imperfections, as it's heated, then rise to the top, and the excess, we call it dross, is then skimmed off the top, and it's discarded. That's the imagery Peter's using here for us walking through trials. 
Peter says trials are like this in our life. It's like gold that's being, the heat's being turned up in order to make it better and different. First, when they turn up the heat, they test the genuineness of, a, of our faith. The genuineness of our faith is tested when we go through trials. And I think we're entering a time in our society where that's going to happen. Where the genuineness of people's faith is going to be tested. be a time where it's going to actually cost you something to serve Christians. And suddenly just showing up at that church maybe isn't worth it anymore for some. Others are going to say, I can't wait to get there because it's the most important thing in my life. When the heat's turned up, the genuineness of one's faith is tested. When the heat gets turned up, we either run and reject this faith or we stand stronger than we ever have before. The test proves the authenticity of faith. And then Peter goes on. He knows that beyond simply proving the validity of one's faith, trials actually serve to deepen one's faith. You see, in the refining process with with gold or whatever in metallurgy, imperfections are revealed and eliminated. That's why you do it. That's why they turn up the heat. You can say, oh, that gold piece of gold looks pretty good to me. But when you turn up the heat and you add the, the catalyst agent and, it, and it, it makes imperfections come to the top, you go, oh, all that junk was in there. I didn't even know it was there. Well, that's exactly what happens with us, with our faith as we walk through trials. What's unimportant, really unimportant in the world? What's in the way of our walk with Jesus? What's of the flesh? is revealed when the heat is turned up. We've often said this, what a person looks like on the outside can be really pretty, but jiggle the glass and see what splashes out. That's the truth of what's going on inside of a person. Jiggle the glass. That's what he's talking about here. When your glass gets jiggled, what splashes out? Do you want to see how selfish or how angry or how short-tempered or how prideful you really are? Well, walk through a trial that isn't fair. Walk through a trial that's unjust, where you're mistreated, where you're, you have health problems, where you're overlooked, something that's just not fair in life. Those trials will reveal the imperfections and impurities in your life, just like turning up the heat reveals them in gold. Those things that weaken and distract from the gold strength and beauty are revealed and so they can be removed through the heating up process. Imperfections in us are also revealed as we walk through trials. They are revealed for a reason, friend. They are revealed so we can identify them and then ask the Lord to remove them. We submit to his discipling. We submit to his process and we say, Lord, I want to get better. Make me different. Make me better. When it's revealed, when something happens and you you respond in anger, you go, I don't want to be that person. You bring it to the Lord. You sit it. You hold it before the Lord. You say, God, it's been revealed in me so that you can now, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, make me different. Make me better. That's why he uses the trials. The trials help us to see what otherwise we wouldn't see about ourselves without a trial. Our faith grows stronger through the refining process of living through trials. Now, that might not sound like fun. In fact, as people, we usually do all we can to avoid trials. We do everything we can to avoid trials. But Peter shows that trials serve a great purpose. They strengthen and purify our faith. And he's saying, listen, friends, that's a good thing. 
And then look how Peter wraps this thing up, this thought up. Verse 9. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He brings it all back where? To the future. Looking forward. The outcome of our faith, tested by fire, he says, is salvation of our souls. Yes, church, life is filled with trials. And I believe we are going to see a lot more in the coming days. But the outcome of our tested faith is and will be the salvation of our souls. The promised inheritance, new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth reserved in heaven for every person who follows Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I just ask you today, if you're going through a trial, can we do what Peter shows us we can do here? Based on what he's, the information he's giving us, can we rejoice because we know God will use that trial to strengthen and purify our faith? And can we hold on to the truth that God's power is going to get us through all the way to our inter- eternal inheritance in heaven? We can. Peter shows us that we can. That we have a reason to rejoice. But maybe you're also here today. Maybe you're watching online today. And you've never responded to that call of Jesus in your life. You know, we said God caused us to be born again by his great mercy. But it says God calls us. He caused it. He made it possible. But then he invites us that we have to say yes to it. We have to say yes to it because God doesn't force it. He, He caused all the circumstances to be in place. He removed all the barriers so that we can say yes. And maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I'm going to go from me being Lord of my life to God, Jesus, being Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to surrender to him. He's my Lord and my Savior. You've never really done that. You can do that today because God, he caused it. He made it possible. So let's stand together this morning. ask you just to invite you to have a silent, a private moment with our eyes closed, our heads bowed. Nothing, nothing sacred about that at all, just a private moment. As we've been listening to what the Apostle Peter, my best attempt to explain what the Apostle Peter is writing to, to ch- Christians that have a challenge, but also application to anybody who wouldn't yet know Jesus. I want to start by this. If you're here today, And you recognize today that you don't have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. He made that relationship possible by coming himself to this world. Jesus, the son of God who is God, came to this world. It's called the incarnation where God became flesh. So we celebrate at Christmas, baby Jesus coming in the manger. He came into our world for a purpose. He came to live a perfect life and then give himself as a sacrifice. What he was doing is God had made a system before that that Israel celebrated where an animal, a perfect spotless animal would be sacrificed to 
represent the forgiveness of sins for guilty people. God had set that system up to say, this is what I'm going to do for you in, in, in reality. That God himself, he didn't get somebody else, himself came. And he said, every single person on this planet is guilty of sin. And because you're guilty of sin, you can't spend eternity with me. You've walked away from me. But I'm going to do everything possible. I'm going to make the path straight. I am going to make it possible for you to return to me. And God himself came into this world and he suffered and he died on a cross. He gave, shed his blood for each and every one of us. Every person, every human ever born, he shed his blood for every single person. We can't even fathom, but he knows every single person by name. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are in every one of our heads. That's how much he knows about you. And that God gave his life for you and he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he broke the curse of death and sin. He said, now if you're in me, that in me you can now say no to sin. He'll give you the power to do that. And death, this curse has been broken because now you can live eternally. Yes, your body will die one day, but it'll be res resurrected from the grave and you'll live eternity in eternity with God. And so you're here today. And you say, for some reason I'm recognizing that I need this and I've not known it before. Well, that's because the Lord himself by his spirit is helping you understand. He's opening up your heart. He's removing blinders from your eyes so that you can see what God has done for you. And today, He's calling you by name. And He's saying, I want you to be my family. But you can't be in my family if you're, if you're your own God. I need to be your God so I can lead you. And so I need you to come to me and give your life to me. you're ready to do that today, again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I promise I wouldn't call you out or embarrass you in any way today. You say, Pastor Mark, you might not understand a whole lot about it, but I recognize that I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. And I want to today. If that's you, I want you to do something bold between you, me, and God, because no one else is looking around. But I just want you to do something that means something to you. It's an action on your part. I want you to raise up your hand really high. Just raise it up, and as soon as I see it, I'm going to tell you to put it back down. Slip it up. All right. Thank you, Jesus. You're at home, online, watching. Do the same thing. You say, it's goofy. I'm in my living room by myself. Do it. It's an act between you. are just saying, God, this is me. I'm ready. You're saying, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Well, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, God, that, that you know our hearts and you're doing the work in our lives and every person in this room and everybody watching online that, Lord, for anyone and everyone who's saying yes to you today, that they can simply say, Jesus, right now in this moment, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm guilty. I know it. I'm not even going to try to hide it. I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. I need a brand new life. And today, I want to start a brand new life with you, where you are God and I am not. And on this day, I give my life to you. 
Now, Lord, I know there's another thing that people might be wrestling with today. There's people in this very room that are going through some real significant problems, trials. We've talked about how trials can be good. Not fun, good. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm going through a big trial and I really need the Lord in my life. We'll do the same thing we just did a minute ago just because I want you to respond to the Lord. Saying, yeah, God, I need you today. Slip up your hand. Just say, I'm going through a big trial. I really need the Lord. Okay. Hands all over the place. That's just reality. You can put them down. That's just reality. We're just responding to God. And so, Lord, I just want to pray this way for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room that are going through a big trial. Lord, you said that you'll protect us in the middle of it. That's what your word said. Protect us by your power. And I'd ask today that your presence would be so very real in the lives of every person that's here. Every person who raised their hand, that right now, every person who raised their hand in this moment right now would sense your presence with them right now. Holy Spirit. Would sense your presence in this moment right now. And they would feel you holding them. And they would know it's going to be okay. And only you know what okay looks like, Lord, but ultimately okay looks like you're going to get us through because of our faith in you to our eternal home. But Lord, in the midst of this, we need to rejoice. You said we could rejoice. And so, Lord, help them to just have this this solid foundational belief in their heart right now. It's going to be okay because you, by your power, are protecting You're holding them. Help them to feel it right now. In this moment. I'm going to end today by, I'm going to invite Pastor Mitch to play any song and sing a song. Just something worshipful. I'm going to end just in the presence of the Lord just allowing the Lord to minister to us, showing us your presence. If you'd like prayer, I'll be up here to pray with you. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. But there's some people who are going through some really tough things. Some of you know some of the trials some of your brothers and sisters are going through. Instead of rushing out, ask them if they'd like you to pray with them. Go sit next to them in a chair and say, can I pray with you? Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to show his, his reality this morning, that he loves you and it's going to be okay, that we can trust him.